0: This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Christina. I'm from Prague. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada.
2: Hi, I'm Ola Banji and I'm
3: from Nigeria.
1: Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris.
3: Hi, I'm Brian and I'm from New York.
0: Welcome to Carbon Sessions a podcast with carbon conversations for every day, with everyone, from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our carbon sessions, because it's not too late.
3: Hi, I'm Rob. Hi
2: everyone, I'm Jeremy.
1: And hi, I'm Leaky. And today we have a very very special episode because uh, we are all runners, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and but we are all very different kinds of runners. I'm probably the slowest runner in this room because um, my personal best for a marathon is five hours, and which I'm very very proud of. But it's really, really slow for a lot of people. <laughs> but. Yeah, but um, I think that Jeremy and Robert, different type of runner. Maybe you can share with us your running history a little bit.
2: So, so yeah, I've been, I've been running for about a decade now. I've uh, participated in uh, cross-country when I was uh, in both secondary school and also later on in college. And, yeah, I just, uh, I just really love to run. It's been kind of the sport that's uh, taken over all of the other sports that I like to do. It's like this is the one thing that I really love to get up and do every morning. It's like one of my anchors for my day. So that's basically how I view running for myself.
3: I started running um, 40 years ago as a 19-year-old. And uh, what happened was that a friend of mine said, shall we go running? I did a few four-mile runs and then decided four months later to do a marathon. And uh, I did the marathon. And then having completed that, I my toe fell off. My toenail fell off run, not my toe, my toenail. <laughs> and um, I went to a
4: chiropodist.
3: <laughs> my chiropodist said, you've got arthritis in your toes. So I stopped running and was scared by it. But following that, I did a lot of different endurance activities like uh, martial arts, and um, I I come from a swing background, and uh, I moved in opposite a triathlete, and so started doing triathlon, uh, and then started doing Ironman triathlon, and so, because I'm slow, uh, and uh, endurance seemed to be one of those things, a sort of mantra of my life, really, so I still enjoy uh, enjoy that now, and I, I coach triathlon as well, so... But running is definitely my weakest discipline, that's for sure.
1: And I stepped into running because I was fed up of of having to find a partner to play tennis. (laughs) 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 And so today we have a very, very special guest for our episode. And uh, you might wonder why did we talk about running um, on column sessions? And so um, I will. Headed to you, Jeremy, to make the introduction of a very special guest today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Leaky. So I said I started running about 10 years ago, and about at the same time as when I first learned of Tina and her work. I was about the same time I was uh, like in my mid teens, I was learning about how to run and what it meant to actually like run with a purpose. And I, I saw Tina's work on um, one of the podcasts that she was doing at the time. Um, she in a previous chapter of her life was a professional runner. So I was very motivated by like, okay, how can I get faster and uh, and do this as like as best as I can. but. After she she left uh, this, this particular podcast and started doing other stuff, I still followed uh, your work, Tina. And from there, I've just seen over the years kind of how you've transitioned from being like a professional athlete to an advocate for like women's health and health in general for everybody, and also how to be more sustainable in terms of uh, in the, the environment and how can we bring this sort of mindset to running and sports in general. So I'm very excited uh, to have you today uh, on the podcast. Like this is my first time doing the podcast and I wanted to uh, have you on because I knew you were like the perfect person to talk about the uh, uh, the intersection of these two topics. So welcome to the podcast, Tina. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your running journey as well as you uh, as you grew up?
4: Yeah thank you so much for the kind words uh, Jeremy and uh, for for having me on here I absolutely love what you all are doing here and it's just such a critical piece that is missing I feel in so much of the conversations uh, making it realistic making it accessible and relatable and not making people feel like they have to sail across the Atlantic in order to be any to have any kind of conversation about environmentalism or they have to have a a PhD in environmental science to have to have any kind of say in this so I love what what you all are doing here um but in answer to your question yeah so I'm 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 British but I live in the U.S. um I came ended up being a pretty good uh teenage cross-country runner in school I was offered a full-ride scholarship out to come to the U.S. for university which I then did and ended up staying did my master's and um met my husband, and uh, that was kind of the end of that. I, we decided to stay here. And um, I continued running professionally for a few years, um, although sustainability, being, I wouldn't have called myself maybe an activist at that point, but uh, I, it, I'd always been very aware of uh, environmental choices and, and been very conscious of it. Uh, but over the years, it, it became more and more in my mind. And then once I had two kids, it really started to to pick up to where I couldn't ignore these as we know it now all of us here like the climate anxiety that like dread or panic or anger or frustration or whatever it might be that I felt um, I and I felt I had to use I had this platform why not use it and again do it very much like you do in an accessible way to where I could talk about running but I could also say that you know I could talk about environmental things that people could really relate to and try and plant those seeds in people. Uh, get them sucked in on my running and then be like oh here's a here's a nugget um that could hopefully plant a seed that then they would be able to take in the rest of their lives and and pass on in their own lives and so now i'm not running at the level i used to but um I, so i would say i i do a lot of work with the major races um in the US like the new york marathon the chicago marathon working with their sustainability teams and so while my running officially isn't at this high level it was before um i'm still finding ways to be involved in running, but finding ways to bring sustainability to the forefront of conversations rather than it just being about what runners eat for breakfast or what, uh, what workouts they do to get fast. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Uh, well,
1: I did a run uh, as lunchtime. This is um, about uh, seven o'clock in my time. But I was listening to one of the, uh, one of the podcasts you gave recently. Um, you mean what or something and you were saying that you did run the london marathon but as um as a guide for blind people Um social justice is one very very big part of your running activism if i can put that that way <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah um i was uh, i'd like to go directly to the book that you that would be published in August. And the title of this book is called Becoming a Sustainable Runner, a Guide to Running for Life, Community, and Planet. And um, I totally understand the first two pillars of this book, running for life and community, because I, my running journey, well, actually, well, I say it as a joke, as I'm running, uh, because I was about for trying to find problems for, to play tennis with. But I really got serious into running um, a little bit over 10 years ago when I decided to sign up for my first marathon. And um, actually, as a result of that, it saved me and it saved my life because um, a little bit over than 10 years ago, um, I was running a small business and uh, I knew that it was um, a very critical year was coming um, for my business and I have a lot of challenges to deal with. And um, And I wanted to run a marathon for a very special reason. Um, It didn't really make a lot of sense because, so running a marathon requires a lot of time, especially if you've never run a marathon and you are a very slow runner like me. A lot of effort, a lot of involvement. But for me, it was a way to deal with my anxiety and uh, to keep my mind busy. So it was a way for me to be focused on something. And uh, to find something very, um, I shouldn't say easy, but a uh, simple thing to do, like your know, step by step process. And uh, you do things, and you make progress, and you celebrate, and you have a very clear goal. And um, with you know, when you run a business, yeah, you have you don't have step by step business. You experiment a lot of things, and it's mm. it's uh, you know what to expect. Whereas you know, uh, running that like, gives you like this kind of um you know, you know what to expect. When you do the work, you know what to expect. So that was very, very great because it uh, kept my mind occupied and helped me deal, um, deal with you know, wanted things to go faster. And um yeah, it was a great experience. And uh, the other part of it is that, you know, running um say, running a business is a uh, can be quiet solitary at times and um, mm. i found this amazing community because i joined a running group and that was just absolutely something that like yeah. you know uh, the cherry on book like you know i discovered this community of people that want you to make progress to celebrate with you and benevolent and uh, and have a lot of empathy and i wasn't expecting that so it will also help me uh deal with my you know my um loneliness of being um uh, Mm. Um, business owner has to struggle with you know, a lot of things, a lot of challenges. So that was the, the two, like you know, running for life and community. This is something that I totally um agree with, and I can't wait to read your book. But um I would like to go to the third part, the last part of the title, which is the planet. And um and so I would like to ask you what the unique perspectives that um outdoor athletes or runners have about climates that others may not have
4: yeah um thank you for that uh well first I want to just say that like I think for me I believe that one of the biggest ways one of the best ways that we are going to figure out this tricky situation we've got ourselves in in terms of climate change global warming the only way we're going to figure this out is working together as a humanity as as a community as just a world a planet together and so I really love that we were able to break it down like here's what you can do as an individual if you love to run here's what you can do as a community to work together within your local community but we also need to act as a humanity as one um, and that's the planet side of things and so I really believe that us working within community whether that means online like Jeremy and I, you know, having a, having a friendship through email or, um, whether that means, uh, you know, having people within, within your area, like you found with a running club um but for the the planet side of things it it really is i mean we break down a lot of the the things that contribute we we do talk about within running there's obviously races that a lot of people do how can we make more sustainable races we talk about activism in terms of environmental justice climate justice we really put a lot of the facts out there that make it clear that you know i'm sure each of you has heard running is easy because all you need is a pair of shoes. Well, not necessarily. Um, if you live in one of the sacrifice zones, you can't just head out your door and uh, and go out for a run. Um, or if you are in an area that doesn't have access to safe sidewalks or places to walk or parks or anything, then you can't just go out for a run. So we really spoke to the pieces um, that are climate related but maybe more more complex than people might think we spoke about the apparel industry which I mean you all know is a 10% at least of um, global emissions but is often you know not mentioned Um, and so we talk about the apparel industry because again runners need apparel but beyond that runners are people who also buy clothes for pleasure so how can we think about cutting down we talk about we take Reduce, reuse, recycle. We break that down and kind of discuss why recycle seems to be the only word that actually stuck <laughs> in that in that phrase. Um, and people use that as their measure of well, I'm I care about the planet. I recycle. And explaining, yeah, doesn't really cut it anymore. <laughs> um, and so yeah, we really felt it was important to focus on this planetary side of things because we are all in this together and running itself uh, as you mentioned like it's a practice it's something that you do day after day and this is the same with with the climate we all have we all get to make decisions every day you get to look at your yogurt pot and think okay um I like some people it might be as simple as I'm gonna throw this just straight in the trash or I'm gonna at least try and wash it out or it might be you know I'm gonna go to a family event and I'm going to take my own vegetarian sausages and explain that I'm trying to eat meatless once a week or whatever it might be. So we've, we w- tried to make this very digestible so that people could really see the impact that is going on. But also, as you mentioned about runners specifically, runners are outside seeing it. And today here where I live in St. Louis, the wildfire smoke is from Canada is pretty bad. And so we, we, you know, I'm well aware when I go out for my run that I'm inhaling some version of, of smoke. And so it is going to, there's no running away from this. Um, and so runners are out there, we're seeing the changes, we're experiencing the changes. Um, and so I feel like runners are a group of people that get stuff done, but they're also going to be the group that sees visibly what is going on and are motivated to, to make change happen
3: you just during this conversation that i've actually just 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 something's come to my mind that um there are sort of two aspects to my running one was as a young runner and the other is an old runner the young runner went out on his own did a local event the marathon was just five miles away from where i lived and i did all my training on my own and then as an old runner starting off at around the age of 40 i joined a club and there was that sense of community. We met up, we meet up on Saturday mornings in the park at Cannon Hill Park. And uh, we even did the Carbon Almanac world record book signing down there. So all of our club came together and signed the book and we went for a coffee and it was, it's great. And And I suppose that's also made me think about one of the questions I was going to ask you in relation to your work with sustainability for the big organizations, because working with a very big triathlon club Uh, we have um, it's a running and triathlon club Uh, we have a lot of um, people who go off all over the place to big events and I feel because I've done a lot of these big events myself I often feel a bit ambivalent because one Mm -hmm. it's given me that real feeling of seeing the world from three different aspects one in a lake river sea Another, seeing the countryside away from the city on a bike ride. And then there's the run, meeting people while I'm on the run. If I'm having a bad day, having a chat with the uh, crowds. And and so I, I, that's one of the things I really love about it. Um, but there's that slight clash with the fact that a lot of events don't have any um, uh, facility for cycles to go or be you know wrapped away. It's all about cars very often in, in the big events. And so I, I just feel sort of ambivalent about these things. Should I just go back to my local running or should I be supporting the very people that can do the most for sustainability? It's these big organisations. So I'm really interested in what your work is with the big companies, um, because that obviously will filter down to all of these other places.
4: Absolutely. Um, and and to that regard, I um, I just was recently attending a race, I attended a race management program summit, um, put on by, uh, the people mm. who put the Chicago marathon on and I got, they, they had me talk about sustainability, which was a great commitment in itself because I had the room for an hour and 10 minutes to talk about sustainability. Um, but it really has been amazing seeing Chicago, particularly New York too, but Chicago is very vocal about it. They also are very, um, progressive with their, uh, pregnancy deferral policies with, Um, their you know inclusion policies so uh, but you really get to see at first a lot of uh, the smaller organizations will say yeah but you are the Chicago Marathon you have all these resources but then you see the trickle down of okay well actually I may not be the Chicago Marathon that by the way Chicago I think has 30,000 or 40,000 runners each year uh, do the marathon so it's a huge event um, but they also, these little races start to recognize that they can do things that don't need 15 signatures to go through. Um, and they can just make changes themselves. Um, and so it really does trickle down. Um, and that is a lot of why I've been brought in to work with these major races, is because we need to, as you all know, a lot of what we have to do is just breaking the habits of people that are just long ingrained. And so here in the US, um, people don't think about composting so um, they will throw a banana peel straight into the recycling just assuming it's a all-in-one and me being there or the volunteers being there or the sustainability team being there and saying hold up wait we have a compost bin over here like that's stopping that automatic behavior and so a lot of what the major races are doing is setting the standard that this is the new normal with with zero waste stations or um, with having their, you know, now testing out the use of uh, reusable cups, a uh, cup service. That, so rather than drinking uh, individual cups in which, by the way, Chicago, I think, uses one and a half million cups during the race because of the runners. So if you can replace those with reusable cups that can be washed and taken to all these other races, if Chicago can do that with their giant race, then surely a local race can do that. Um, and so it really has been good to see and also good that these races are being leaders for other events to then copy and, and learn from. Uh, they're giving it all away for free. They have all their blueprints. They have the information. Um, and so I've really loved watching that and being a part of it to draw attention to the work that they do Yeah, I
2: suppose these large organizations, as you say, can act sort of like a symbol or setting an example for uh, the the rest of the organizations to to uh, follow and then hopefully you know not just it goes and permeates further than just running events but other events and just people's usual usual everyday lives and being able to have these sorts of sustainability aspects to them sure. i was i wanted to ask you tina in your work with these organizations i'm sure like the people within the organizations themselves are very uh, interested in having this sort of transformation take place how how have you found the reaction like from just participants from other people going around? Is it really just that they have, uh, like you break this habit and they're like, okay, yeah, like I won't put it in this uh, recycling bin, I'll put the banana peel in the compost bin. Or has it been uh, more of a challenge? I was super curious to, to ask about this.
4: I have a very interesting answer for this one actually. And that is that once you get people engaged, they are engaged, they're very interested. But the lengths people will go to to avoid the sustainability people because of what people have this preconceived notion of what an activist is, an environmental person. I mean, we all probably get it in our daily lives of where people see you coming and they're like, oh no, please don't talk to me about environmental stuff again. Um, And so like, I, I will see people literally looking up in the opposite direction at the sky, like at nothing just as they walk by so that they don't have to engage with us because they think we're going to, like, I don't know, tell them off or something. And um, and so it's the same with the tents, the zero-waste tents, where we have very clearly marked compost, recycling, trash, uh, TerraCycle for, like, the bar wrappers or the gels or whatever. People will go out of their way to go around the back of the tent, moving things out the way to get to the bins that are just unmarked because they don't want to come near me and the other people working there. But we found that by making it a bit fun, doing like a spin the wheel or um, even just a basketball hoop where people could throw their, a basketball hoop above each of the cans so people could throw their banana peel into the correct bin. That got people there, and then they were like, Oh, actually, these people aren't terrifying; they aren't gonna tell me to never fly again and then from there, they were able to actually learn and listen and not so I think a lot of it is so much we like the group of us here and probably anyone listening, have such a unneeded and uncalled for reputation of just like the person to be avoided at all costs because I think a lot of it comes down to. Um, we all are made to feel like we are horrible human beings. Like we're not doing enough. We feel like nothing we can do is good enough. We feel like, you know, why why am I still doing all these things when, again, as we all know, it's the systems that are in place. It's the, the way the world is built. We live in the same world. I'm sure you all, I get people who come up to me with a plastic bottle and they panic and they're like, "Uh, uh, I I, I, I got this yesterday and I've been reusing it. And I'm like, it's okay. I live in the same world as you do. Sometimes a plastic bottle is the only way to get water. Um, And so I think people are scared of us. And that's what I'm really hoping I've been able to break down and show people that it's okay. We're all learning. We're all trying to go against the systems that have been put in place but also that if we do talk about it talking about it as we're doing here is the biggest thing any of us can do um, to make change happen so uh, I don't know if that answered your question Jeremy but like I feel like they definitely are hesitant to do anything to do with sustainability but once they realize that I'm not going to yell at them then they change their mind and relax
2: (laughs) yeah no it totally answers the question i suppose at some level the the long-term goal is that you will not have to be the one kind of in place in these tents waiting for people like people will just know that this is the thing to do Mm -hmm. and then uh, you focus on like other parts yes. of uh parts of these uh the of the, the race organization so so yeah i think it's it's probably like a longer term mm-hmm. uh project of really like getting people like you say into the habit of switching from something that they're just default and it's probably it's probably not even malicious it's just you don't even think about it it's just this is just the default and it's like you just do this and you don't think about it to uh, doing something with maybe a bit more intention
4: mm-hmm. absolutely and there's so many things that have been done for years particularly in racing but within anything like a bib that people wear like i want to transform the way that what what bibs are made of i have a dream of bibs being made of seed paper that you can then plant mm. like why couldn't they be but you know bibs have always been made out of this plastic material um but once we can get people thinking about some things then maybe they'll be curious and maybe they come up with a solution for something else so so yeah very much so i hope so <laughs>
3: I think one of the problems that's happened is that the public, um, me included, have kind of become conditioned because the way that we view sustainability tends to be through journalism and journalists want to make things entertaining. So they'll always, when they're interviewing somebody on sustainability, they'll get somebody who's the polar opposite and bring those two together and whether their opinion is right or wrong, it just creates um, an, an atmosphere straight away. And so when I was asked to give a talk on sustainability within my own profession, I suddenly realized that I could be walking into the lion's den and Mm -hmm. uh, became very nervous immediately. So I did put a a picture up on PowerPoint just of two people. um, And um, one was at one extreme and one was at the other. And and I said, look, most of us are somewhere in the middle, but we're all kind of moving along this path. um, And hopefully most of us want to move in the right direction. And I also pointed out that 80% uh, there is a statistic that 80% of people actually want to do something uh, sustainably. It's just that we all think it's only 20%. So we, we feel that nervousness. And, uh, and and getting that across to people, I'm sure, must have been a challenge for you. And clearly it is, uh, with people trying to avoid you in those tents.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, those climate deniers are very loud, aren't they? So, um, hmm. uh, you know, they're the ones that, yeah, like you said, you. It's it's funny, though. And that's what I try and tell people all the time, that when people speak to friends and family about something that should seem so obvious, like, I'm nervous for our future because, you know, this is happening and that's happening. Like, that should be such a simple conversation to have with friends, but they think the friends are going to be like, oh, please don't bring this up right now. Like, I'm not... But actually, if you, as we all know, like, once you start talking about it or doing something, the anxiety in you actually much like what we were saying about running earlier the anxiety starts to go down because you're actually doing something so Hmm. as you said 80% of people want to do something they want to take action but they're scared that they're going to be judged for it so that's why we say talking about it like just that's the biggest thing most of us can start with doing so but it's still scary
3: well, i wondered about opportunity because i often try to look for opportunities um a, an example i suppose that i can think of is that in our club uh, we have a booking system and um as an admin on that uh, if i'm going swimming because it's uh, in a lake 10 miles away i usually look at the list and if there's anybody that i know who i can pick up on the way then we'll, we'll um hook up together and uh you know, and the last time I did it the person who uh, came on the lift with me she said this was just so wonderful she said I was stressed about driving over there mm. we've gone over together we've been sustainable and she was really really pleased and grateful and we had to talk about about exactly that subject as a result so it was just a, a beautiful evening really for that reason and um, but I, I find it struggle sometimes to look for those opportunities uh, I don't know whether you have that same thought or whether there are opportunities that you specifically can think of.
4: Yeah. I mean, I definitely have those. And we, again, Zoe and I wrote in becoming a sustainable runner about this exact thing of what you just mentioned there, Rob, about uh, traveling to a race with someone else. Not only are you saving on your driving, but your and money on, you know, on not two people driving, but also um, you get to talk through how you're feeling about that race and say, Oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous or like, oh, I had a really stressful day at work. I don't know how this training session is going to go. You get to actually co- human connect human to human because particularly uh, a lot of the things that we do are individual are on our own. And as we were talking about earlier, like loneliness, like, um, you know, this gives us an opportunity to find other people um, and, and make the most of that. So there's good that comes from it. But um, yes, I definitely have a lot of moments where... Um, for me, it's particularly, as I said, I'm always the awkward one. Like a friend will say, oh, we're going across, let's say I'm in Chicago or I'm in Austin, Texas or somewhere. I'm, as again, I'm usually in the US, but uh, I will take, say, let's take a bike or let's take the train. And initially people, I don't want to do that. I'm used to taking my Uber or my um, you know, taxi or whatever it might be. And so initially, there's always like a hesitancy, but I always use the opportunity to be like, come on, just come with me and bike. And they always end up having fun. And they're like, you know, I never would have thought of, of, of taking a bike across town. That was, again, an automatic habit of just jumping in a, in a taxi. Um, and so I love to find those opportunities or uh, like little ways to just drop climate in the conversation without it being a lecture. Um, and I think that's something that every single person who has that is in that 80 percent can do in some capacity. As I said earlier with the, the meatless, like I'm trying to eat meatless one day a week. I'm not we're not asking everyone to go vegan. You know, that that is too much to ask for too many people, but we can do meatless one day a week. Well, anyone can do that. So, um, yeah, finding those opportunities is is a scary thing to do. But the more we do it, the more the easier it becomes.
1: In your transition, in your journey towards more, living a more sustainable life, I was wondering um, if there was a moment when you realized, wow, okay. Because I remember when I started running, I thought, well, this is very simple. Just, you know, get out and uh, and run. So you can just take a pair of sneakers and just run. And uh, actually, the first time I ran, I was sick because I was just running very, very minimal shorts. And... I have no idea what it was doing. But one of the reasons that I started running is that it was simple, easy. It doesn't require a lot of equipment. But then, now, if I look at all the um, running equipment I have acquired, uh, like, you know, the the watches, the different uh, pair of running shoes, and not talking about all these t-shirts I have from running all these races, and I stopped thinking that running is something that is um is and sustainable I and mean, kind requires of a lot of investment actually. Um in your journey, so was it a moment to think, wow, that's just we could or what was the, we could make it things there. What was the moment you realize that we need to do something and transition? Was it a clear moment?
4: Do you mean specifically in running or like environmentally in general,
1: well, it could be both, like you know, environmentally in general, and then see the opportunity we were talking about opportunities earlier. You know, when did you see that with this platform that you created through running, you could mm-hmm. uh, use it to, to not lecture, but spread the ideas of of living a more sustainable life.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, environmentally in general, I I remember this so clearly. It was a uh, in geography class when I was in school hearing about acid rain over Scandinavia from the UK pollution and thinking like that is not okay. That we are like literally causing acid rain in a country that's especially like Scandinavia, you know, um, I was like, this is not, I remember that being a moment where it really sunk in of like, okay, this is a global world that one, one country's decisions affect everyone else. Um, but in running, yeah, it was, um, I mean Jeremy can probably attest to this I think over time I started talking about it more and more when I could I'd bring it up in conversations and I'd uh start talking about it but I decided I was one day driving talking to a friend and I remember even you know those moments where you remember all the details I remember where I was remember what was going on I remember what was playing on the radio I said to one of my friends about I was complaining about something environmentally I don't remember what that was and she said well, why don't why are you not talking about this? I don't understand like this is such a passion of yours, and you're not saying anything. Um, and she really called me out on it and um and so I decided to do this challenge that I called a Hundred Days of Sustainability. It was on social media. It was also an email um, email challenge, so anyone can still sign up if you want to um, on my website. Um, and I emailed for a hundred days and made reels and videos about. 100 things you can do and these again are not like big obviously I did mention about voting and I did mention about calling up your uh, representatives or whatever that might be to try and make change but a lot of it was again planting those little seeds and it was very quickly within starting that it was like actually 8 days in that the uh, COO at the Chicago marathon called me 8 days in and so that was such a like moment of wow This space is needing someone to do this. People are very interested. Uh, These videos were not highly produced. It was literally me holding up a camera, and Jeremy probably knows this, holding up a camera, talking to it for 30 seconds and uploading it. It wasn't professionally done at all. But people really, I would get people sending me messages saying I had my hand hovering over the bin, the trash can with a Ziploc bag and i was about to throw it in and then i thought of you and i pulled it back and i reused it um so or being i was in the the supermarket and i was had my hand on the paper towels and then i thought no actually i should probably just buy some reusable ones like so i started to see these little seeds to where they grew and grew and grew and people started thinking about other changes they could make so during that 100 days I just got to see such a snowball effect and even though those changes even if every person who saw that did every single one of them would make the tiniest tiny percentage of change in global emissions it got it in people's heads and got the their fingers out of their ears so they could actually start listening and being interested in it so uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that was a real changing moment of of t- that friend calling me out, um, taking that leap of faith, doing it in an imperfect way to say that, you know, I also find this really hard and then um, seeing things come from it from there.
1: You did answer my question very clearly and uh, you use a very important word is doing it in an imperfect way. Um, I love times we don't do things because we want to find the perfect way of solving the problem and um thank you for reading that
4: yeah no it's I mean that's one of the biggest keys isn't it um because uh and and, you know flying is a good example for me I'm from the UK I live in the US like I cannot and will not commit to never flying again my parents I would like to see my family (laughs) sometimes so even if I were to cut out everything else like I can't do that. I can't also take six weeks to go across the Atlantic on a boat. Um, so it's okay for us to admit that we don't have everything down. And that I think is is really what breaks the barriers down to where people start to listen.
3: I remember one crossroads for me um, was uh, during the COVID crisis when we were allowed to go out a little bit. And in Birmingham, the air was so fresh. I couldn't believe how fresh it was. And uh, I remember going out for a run for two hours because I'd started doing Strava art <laughs> and uh, there were two of us, I love that. <laughs> two, two of us that did Strava art. The problem, the, pro- the problem was for me that I could go out and run for two hours, but Helen is an ultra runner and she could go out for six hours. So I would go out for two hours and draw my rather basic uh, childlike lion and then literally within 10 minutes of me posting it on Strava, Helen would post a detailed picture of Elvis Presley or a dinosaur <laughs> and so everybody in our club was taking the mickey out of me and uh, so yeah Helen Helen's an absolutely fantastic uh, runner and she often wins um, not just her um, her age group but uh, she often wins the women's race and usually is one of the top people in the whole race so um, so I, 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 I bowed to her superiority on that one. <laughs>
4: That's such an important point, though, because, um, A, I definitely would like to see some of your Strava art. And uh, uh, I guess Strava is the tr- app that pe- runners and cyclists use for their training. But um, mm. uh, B, that's such a good example of that, isn't it? Of the imperfect, like you went out and there and did it. And we live in this world. Again, this is another concept we talked about in the book. We live in a world where you could do a 20 mile run and you're so proud of yourself. And then you log into social media and you see someone did a 24 mile run and suddenly your 20 means nothing. Um, and we just live in this world where it makes us scared to share anything because there's always someone better than us. Um, so that's such an important example you shared there because you know it's about doing it, not doing it perfectly or the best.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I did keep posting my art for some time. <laughs> I want to see it <laughs> I'll, d- I'll dig them out
4: <laughs> yeah I, I just want to say i
2: think this is a, a really important concept of like tina was saying before of there's plenty of reasons why everyone can feel bad about themselves day to day or like even feel bad with respect to like how the whole world is is uh, functioning at the moment for there's like plenty of things to worry about and so it's so important sometimes to just had to do to do something and perfectly but even like like tina you were explaining with um your 100 days of sustainability to give other people the ideas because the actions themselves like you said won't really do much in terms of the big picture but the the consequences of people thinking about these things and like you just need a few people to like really latch on to these ideas and like stick with them for years on end and this can make a much bigger difference than just the individual action. So, yeah, I think I think about this a lot is like sometimes, you know, I might be might be tired. I don't want to, you know, you know, like it takes energy sometimes to like go and either break your own habits or talk to others about it. Like for me, like it takes energy for me often is like it's like, do I really want to spend this extra Mm -hmm. energy to like go and convince someone that's like already set on not doing X, Y or Z? But then at the end of the day, I tell myself, okay, like maybe I can give myself some grace to do one thing. You don't have to do all of the things. You don't have to do this 24-7, but you do something. And just you you start you start the process. And then day by day, like training when you're when you're running, it's like this makes the difference over
4: time. Exactly. Yeah, running correlates so well to this conversation.
2: So what I really wanted to ask you was what fills you with hope for these days surrounding like the environment and like your, say, say your work with these sustainability organizations so, like we were talking about before, there's plenty of things to worry about, but what fills you with hope? Like, what are you excited about and thinking like this is really um, making a difference?
4: Um, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I see when I see the, I, so often we can feel like we're out there alone as, as we've talked about a little bit earlier, that you're the only one that cares or the other you you're the only one thinking about this. And particularly if you become that person in your life, who's always like the the one who's bringing it up, it can feel, it's tiring, as you said earlier, Jeremy, to just like keep, keep doing things, keep bringing it up. Um, but getting around other people who are passionate about this and who talk about this, that really helps. So this whole community you've got here is amazing um, because that I think really energizes me and, and to see all the different things that all the different innovations and, and uh, ideas that are coming out of people with their different perspectives, with their different roles, with the, the, the way that they touch things. I mean, even people working at um, these big corporations can big bring up, um, you know, Hey, maybe we should make these meetings, uh, the, the meeting notes digital, right? They could bring that something as small. So we all have our, piece to play and I love coming into contact with other people who are doing that so that brings me a lot of hope with the sustainability teams you know kind of having those inside jokes that you get being that person um and and also I I do get hope from seeing different people coming together um I remember hearing a podcast episode what podcast was it um it might have been how to save a planet Um, I can't remember, but there was this podcast where they were talking about these different career fields that had nothing to do with each other, coming together to find a solution that worked because you had the engineers involved and you had the creatives involved and you had the professors involved. And so I love the concept of like, again, that working together, um, the community in terms of whatever that means, using all these different skills and and knowledge and ideas to figure things out. I really do feel hopeful in that way. And also the other thing that gives me hope are, and I feel at 34, I can now say I'm not youth but the youth of today um, coming through those teenagers that are uh, early 20s that were that generation coming through I feel so inspired by them because they just are relentless they're not taking no for an answer I mean the just stop oil people I the ones that are slow marching every day I am so inspired by them um, I can't do it but I being here but I, I like I just think that's such a critical piece here because yes it's annoying people yes it's inconveniencing people but at the end of the day it is drawing attention that is needed so yeah three groups um i'm just feeling so inspired by so yeah
2: thank you for uh for this very generous answer it's uh i i, I think you're right uh surrounding surrounding ourselves with others that uh, are on the same journey or on slightly different but with the same general goal is 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 so great and it is it is like it's really nourishing i guess at some levels that you 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 get energy from this
1: and seeing other people doing things and uh, that might not necessarily be the things that you would do like you know uh, from just the oil i cannot do but i have a lot of admiration for them but um, and it annoys a lot of people but you know it's there's no one way of trying to solve this problem in this Again, comes back to what, what uh, Rob was saying earlier about formalizing.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all have a role to play, mm. for sure.
3: Just wondering what, if um, you've had any um, partner organizations, uh, some of the running shoe companies or uh, clothing companies who've become involved with some of your uh, activities.
4: Yeah, I mean it's I do I definitely I I work with allbirds um who are a partner mm. of mine um they are doing incredible work um in terms of making um sustainably made products they're really focusing on pushing not just the running industry but all the industries that touch the lifestyle sector uh to sharing their carbon number to sharing the uh, the emissions that they are creating with each product that they uh, they make. Uh, Obed's just shared that they now have a shoe that is uh, not through offsets, but actual changes they've made. They've they've made a shoe that's coming out next year that is zero carbon emissions, which is really exciting. And so I love working with them um, and having seen the underside, seeing the people that work there, even though they're a publicly traded company, they are, fighting hard to keep the soul of the company and make it be environmental um environmentalism as their value sustainability as one of their core things even though they're in this world that is telling them profit 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 at all costs like i really have seen the underside of these fighters underneath who are like nope we are not letting you take that away from us um you we are sustainability is why we are here and we're here to change the game so they are absolutely the brand that come to mind for me Um, and a lot of the major brands are making changes Um, as far as I know out of the major running brands Adidas is the one that is doing the most Um, but I personally uh, I work with uh, Allbirds and I work with a a company called Tracksmith here in the US who sustainability isn't one of their cores but they make very high quality long-lasting clothes which as we all know is another piece of this um your clothes need to be able to handle you know 50 100 200 washes before they or multiple runs um before they need a wash and so you know I tend to look at things from a different perspective as well uh I I do see a lot of greenwashing as well (laughs) um and uh, I continue to push or encourage others that's again something we brought up in the book is challenge the companies that you care about ask them what they're doing um and if they're just putting like grass and and cows or um you know green trees on their website but not really saying anything like ask them what are you actually doing here um and you know be aware of things where where they say 50% more recycled materials when it was only 1% before which makes 2% so you know we challenge people to really um be Inquisitive with the brands that you care about, and then to cut down on what you need and, and minimize the um, the amount of new things you need to buy. Um, so I really try and push the running brands um, or other people to push the running brands. And when I have the opportunity, I definitely bring it up. <laughs> so yeah, thank you.
2: I think I think this was good. Like, let's say, thanks again, uh, Tina. Tina for this, it was uh, it was great.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I, I love conversations like this. They're really, really important. The work that you are all doing in the space is is needed and important and building that sense of hope. I mentioned, we need, we need this. And so thank you all for your work that you've done. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel indebted to you in terms of being those people who are making change happen through conversations like this and through the book. So thank you. thank you.
3: Mm, thank you. That's next nice
0: You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day, with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation,